Grow Great is a city government leadership podcast with Lisa Norris and me, Randy Cantrell. Each week we share insights, experiences, and wisdom to help you and your leadership grow great. Our website is growgreat.com. You're so great at everything. I don't, where do you begin to even hire somebody, Lisa? <laughs> well, I don't know about being great at everything, but thank you, Randy. <laughs> the quote, so, the quote yeah. that you, you, that you sent me, which is the takeoff for today's shows. Great leaders are not. And by the way, I apologize in advance for this cold, this summer, whatever I've got. Um, but he's great, calling it. Everybody. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm looking for a quartet. If you need a bass singer, I'm for hire. <laughs> Great leaders are not the best at everything. They find people who are best at different things and get them all on the same team. But that is not our experience, is it? It is not. No, it is not. In my world, I try to teach and I try to practice hiring people very different from me. Different perspectives uh, where I see gaps on the team. And I people may say, well, we have weaknesses. I don't look at it that way. I think there's gaps and you fill the gaps. So if you have strength and creativity, I don't need, I don't need everybody that works like I do, acts like I do and thinks like I do, because then we can get very, very narrow minded and narrow focused and everybody falls in line without challenging the why, without questioning, should we be doing this or should we not without exploring new things, maybe rewarding differently, maybe teaching differently. So I look for differences. I look for perspective. I ask a lot of questions in interviews, not so much about their technical skills, which is easy to do of how many years have you made the widgets and, oh, you've made 20, 20 years worth of widgets. So you must be an expert. Sometimes I say that's 20 years of doing the same thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. I want somebody that has either progressed, found a new way to do business and tells me about those things. Is that, is that a default? Is that a default viewpoint that you have, or is that something that you learned? I think it's something that I've learned because I want different perspectives on the team because I believe that makes you stronger. Having people that think differently than you, I think it gives you an edge, um, in your team to, to have different philosophies and different ways of thinking. Um, not only can each of us challenge one another in new ways and grow new ways, but we can, then, um, you know, just, just shore up different, different, uh, gaps. Like I said, gaps on the team. Do you have and any, I think, dis- do you have any distinct memories of, of, of learning that or coming to that conclusion? I mean, cause well, I'll, I'll just put forth the hypothesis here. I think you and I both are kind of naturally wired with this curiosity to not just lean into people that are, that are mostly like us, I'll speak only for myself. It's not like I'm going to purposefully look for contrarians. I'm not going to look for the naysayers, but I'm looking, I'm looking for people that may have strengths where I don't. Right. And maybe part of that is arrogance to be fair. Maybe I like being the guy who's got this particular strength. You know, that, that has crossed my mind in my leadership journey. I mean, I'm wondering the journey for you did, was there, was there some distinct moment? Was there some, some miles traveled over which you felt like, okay, I'm, 
I need to do something different. I now need to surround myself with different people. I think it's for me, it's been Randy in the last probably 10 years. Um, you know, I became director. You, you learn a lot when you become a director. Uh, it, people think it's an easy jump from manager to director. I did not find that to be the case. It wasn't, How it so? wasn't unachievable. It wasn't, uh, overly difficult, but there was a lot to learn that I didn't realize happened in that role that I had not experienced, right? Different, you have different reporting authority. You have different speed at which you have to respond, different, uh, political savvy you need, things like that that I learned. So the first few years were just learning to be a really good director to do, to do good by my people through that journey. I had hired probably like many over time of, I wanted expertise. When I hired a benefits person, I wanted benefits expertise. When I hired a risk person, I wanted risk, risk expertise and the more, the better, but honestly, what I've found, and it doesn't mean that those of us that have a lot of experience aren't worth hiring. I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is I learned to not just look for the expertise. If I had strength, strength, for instance, in benefits administration, which was my background, I didn't necessarily need to hire somebody with strengths and benefits administration, although that's good. What we didn't have and what we were trying to create is a wellness, a creative approach to wellness, not what everybody else was doing, but a creative. So when I hired a benefits person, I really looked for strengths and wellness because I didn't have that. Now I could Google like everybody else. But I asked a lot of questions of what in, you know, uh, what, what creative things have you done in the last two years, last three years to show that they're actively engaged and they're not referencing something they did 10 years ago. Mm. Um, so I started learning that because often when I hired people that had been in the same role for many, many years, there was stagnant, they were stagnant. They weren't doing creative and new things. They were just doing the same things over and over and over. And I also found it was really hard if they were set in those ways, that that is the only way. Mm -hmm. And so while it's not impossible to find really great people with long tenured experience, I think you need to ask what we've talked about in curiosity, ask better questions to get better answers. What have you done recently? Tell me about a time when you, whatever the issue is, you know, for us, I like to know, we don't have a lot of time. We've talked about it, the pace. And I look for people, tell me about a time when you had received limited direction on a huge project. And they're like, well, you know, what parts of that? And I say, all of them, <laughs> you know, tell me about, I want to know how they thought about it from the beginning, how they designed an action plan, who they involved. And the more they provide to you with the limited questions, then I can just ask, ask clarifying questions. And that shores up where, where I don't have that strength behind me. It makes the team better because of it. So it's just asking different things and not just hiring the experts. And it's really, honestly, really hard to train in the labor trades. Labor trades, it's super easy to say, I need a heavy equipment operator that's been a heavy equipment op operator for 20 years. Well, maybe we need people that are trying to get to be a heavy equipment operator and show them what they've demonstrated. What have you demonstrated to get to be a heavy equipment operator? Shows them drive, shows dedication shows loyalty. You know, you have to look for those things because you want to keep them too. And so many people are chasing the dollar. You have to start asking better questions and get the hires that fit what you need and your culture and not just the expert widget maker that's done it 20,000. And trust me, there's a place for those too. We have great members of our team that have been in position 20 years and are extremely valuable. So again, I'm not saying that 
but I'm saying you caution as you hire to not just always hire that way. So for you, the void, the, what you lacked kind of bubbled up to the surface and kind of, I mean, it sounds like that's what kind of drove it. It, it did. And I, again, I just found it's also easier to encourage that growth with the team members and encourage perspective when you're hiring for it. Because if you're hiring different from yourself, we can introduce it that way. So it almost starts setting up an expectation with your team that I'm not trying to hire like me or like you. I'm trying to hire for better. Whatever better is for our team, what makes us better and stronger, that's what I'm hiring for. So in your transition from manager to director, go back and 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 what did that hiring look like i'm I'm assuming that you mostly um inherited a team but i could be wrong nope i did and i remember i had been a manager for 10 years at grand prairie right i was hired in 96 managed up to 2006 we hired a few um we did have turnover and you know obviously as every department does mm-hmm. uh, and still have turnover um usually for good reasons people promoting which we want them to do we've talked about growing and sending them but in that in that transition even when you when you inherit a team when i became director um it quickly over my first year just as if i'd come into a new organization i started assessing differently at the director level started having more one-on-one conversations with the whole team rather than just those that reported to me. Right. So your scope expands. Right. And I'd had one-on-ones and asking about where, what could we do better? What are we doing well? And then started analyzing that to help also see what the team felt. Cause I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily boots on the ground every day. I always say I'm fi- flying at 30,000 feet. So you got to stay somewhat in tune, but you can never be, I believe at my level, just daily in tune with every single person. My managers can do that. They have one-on-ones more frequently. I just try to know the pulse. Generally, so, it, so as you inherit this group and now you're having these one-on-ones and we're talking about great leaders are not the best at everything. This is the quote. Great leaders are not the best at everything. They find people who are best at different things and get them all on the same team. That's so right. you've, you've inherited this team and now you're tasked with the job of finding out what are these people best at? Yeah. So we, so, we, so that you can kind of marshal the resources. So how, how did that transition happen? Well, the good news is I'd been on the team a long time. So for me, I could assess pretty quickly what their strengths were and I could tell what they were good at, but I also asked what their interests were. What are your, what are you interested in? What do you love doing? And we have a current project we're working on right now. And I asked the same thing. And people said, I love working with numbers. I don't understand those people, but they exist. <laughs> yeah, I say, you know, HR, we're people, people, not money, not dollar yeah. people and money right. people. Um, but that's what she wanted to do. She said, if you have anything that can do with numbers, we have lots of stuff that needed number validation. Mm-hmm. And she is good at that. Um, we had people that were interested in just expanding. I don't know about this field. So we gave them assignments in that field so we can educate, teach, do that, and expands them to meet their needs, right, so that they can become stronger. So now and back then, we just started assessing what are they really good at and get them on projects for the team where they can demonstrate those strengths because not only does that bring camaraderie to the team, it exposes their strengths to the team so you aren't keeping it to yourself. 
Uh, and again, all of these specific instances where you're making it more visible and not doing it behind the scenes, it unifies the team because they are different and their strengths blend. They start going to those people, what we found over time. Hey, you're really good at spreadsheets. I've got this issue. You know, we had one lady that um, was in benefits, came up as an intern for wellness, was a coach uh, at UHC. She's now our HR manager, but came up from an intern all the way up through the ranks. Well, on the benefit side, she didn't work. She didn't have to do much with spreadsheets uh, at that point, but went over into our class comp team. I kind of said, you are amazing in analytics. I think you'd be great in this class comp role. She goes, what is class comp? And so I had to teach her, you know, this is why I think you'd be amazing and it would challenge you. And it does have repetition, but you'd be great. Well, through that process, she moved over to class comp. And then the benefits team who had worked with her said, we have this issue on, you know, people coming to us all the time and they're wanting to know if I elect this benefit and this benefit and this life insurance amount, I don't know at the end of the day, how much that means it's coming out of my check, you know, cause we just had all these amounts listed and they have to try to go and add them up. I mean, in a day, she created a whole spreadsheet that she handed to new employees and they can type in what their election is and it totals it for them at the bottom. So they can see, okay, this is the net cost. You'll have some pre-tax savings, but this is the net impact right. if you elect those things. And that was just an example of she's on the class comp team doing pay, right? Not benefits anymore, but you recognize a strength. Well, now even outside of that benefits team, she has lended a tool that saved a ton of time and is useful and we still use today to help them determine cost impact quickly without having to go enroll in it in the system right then. Right. Right. So that's where I think you start assessing those, the strengths of each person. You really got to explore it and then find out not only whether it's strengths, like my strength is I have a great strength in writing. I hate writing. Okay. So just because I'm good at it doesn't mean I enjoy doing it. I'd rather have somebody else that we have a person on the benefits team loves to write background in marketing. We give the stuff to her and let her do the benefits guides and the, we have her read our communication that we're drafting completely unrelated to her actual role. But she loves doing that because she loves communication and I hate it. So that gives somebody else the opportunity that loves doing that. And I can just say, Hey, I want to say these things. And then she'll capture the spirit of it. Um, but it's, that's just an example, just because you are good at it. Doesn't mean you like doing it and you can use somebody else that does like doing it right. and is good at it. Organizationally, what do you, what are the impediments that you have seen over the years of leaders who don't necessarily want to take this approach? You know, it's more birds of a feather and they tend to hire people that more closely mirror who the, who and what they are. The, the hardest, like I said, the impediments and the hardest thing is first, it's not always, but many leaders hire for skill-based only. They hire, how long have you been doing this? Give me examples of how you used a backhoe. Give me examples of how you used a front loader. Um, show me that you can use a front loader. And that's great. But what we find is you need to start looking for things like loyalty. Why did you want, why are you leaving your last job and coming here? So the impediments are you can hire that person but look on their resume. Most often the challenge I find with leaders is they hire them and I'll say, guys, there's red flags. They're moving every year and a half. Mm -hmm. 
every year and a half, every nine months, they're moving to a new job and they're like, well, they just haven't found their niche. I'm like over 14 years, they haven't found it. You know, look at all the red flags and they will still want to hire because they've got these expert skills, but then you're paying the cost of turnover, of retraining, of time and energy and money. So how do you, how do you help, how do you help supervisors or leaders see past, you know, that kind of a shallow view and, and see a bigger picture a more holistic picture? Well, our recruiters are great. Um, and we have tools available. It depends on whether they choose to use those tools. Um, we have questions on hiring. Um, we have a database kind of of questions that get to dependability, reliability, motivation, um, loyalty. I mean, there's just a bank of questions and those came off. I mean, those came off of Google. It's easy to find them. You don't have to get them from us. Right. Um, those are easy. If your HR department, um, they can go to what's called SHRM. It's our database for experts in HR. Um, and it's, and it's global and they can pull down questions to ask that are more intuitive and not skills-based. And the reason those are great, Randy, is because you can see what your issues have been. So if you're having high turnover constantly, of course, there can be bigger things at play. It could be money. It could be what you're paying in the market. It could be a uh, work environment. It could be a combo of those things. But you can also ask questions. What are you looking for? What would keep you at an employer? Why are you leaving your current employer? And you can see things that are important to them. And that's the first thing you assess. If you, have a, if you know you've got a rough environment, and they're saying, I'm leaving because the environment's terrible. We're having to work overtime. It's, you know, we, we have, there's no work-life balance. And you know that it's the exact same thing you're facing. You have to question, do I hire that person knowing they're trying to get out of that? Because then they're going to leave. Or do you try to address the issues and tell them, okay, so we're facing that same thing here, but here's what we are working on. Here's what we've improved. We've got a team assigned to trying to work on that. So at least you're being transparent and they can then choose to come or not come, right? Um, but that's those are the challenges that, that we face and the things we're trying to do to help identify what would keep people because it's a hard environment right now. What, what impact do you think it has on leaders? Uh, their, their viewpoint of what is trainable or what, or what they are prepared or they think they're prepared to train Versus the things that they, that they might not see as, as trainable. You and I've had this conversation offline and to pull the curtain back for the audience. Um, it, it seems to me that an awful lot of us, we hire for something and we think in many cases, we just con ourselves that, well, we'll train this other thing only to find out, well, number one, we're not, we're not going to spend the time to do that to train it. And then we may find out after the fact that that, that thing that we didn't hire for probably was the thing we should have hired for, you know? So I guess a long winded way to ask the question, a leader's viewpoint of what to hire for versus I can train for that. I'm wondering where, where all of that fits in with this this whole mix of trying to find people that are, that are best at different things, put them on the same team. So we've got, we've got the contrasting ideas of we've got all these different skill sets, but the same team, yeah. same purpose, same stuff. It really is going to matter 
what level the position is at, how strong your current team is and what you need to fill the team. And the reason I say that is if you are a a lower, if you're hiring for a lower level, and when I say lower, please understand that doesn't mean less valuable. We've talked about this before. I'm a big believer in the, the custodian that keeps our restrooms clean in the parks and does that are as valuable as an executive. It's just valuable in different ways, right? So there's no less value, but, but they are a lower level position than some. If you need a custodian that knows how to use chemicals and knows how to, you know, what that kind of thing, that there's some specifics, a maintenance worker on the golf course that has to know how to apply a certain ratio of chemicals to the greens, to the, to keep them alive and well, I think they have to have some balance of knowledge, but you and I've talked about, man, I'm a firm believer in, you know, what are your non-negotiables? We've talked about them, willingness and attitude. Those are two things that you cannot train in a person. You cannot make them more willing that has to be built in them. It's kind of like dependability. They either are or they are not right. But do you find that leaders sometimes overlook those things because they lean so hard into the technical competencies that they think, eh, you know, that, that, that's the better option here. The better option is the person, man, they got this chemical ratio stuff down. I mean, they know it like the back of their hand and forget the other stuff. We typically find that that worsens with hires when there's a bigger, I call it hemorrhaging. When you're hemorrhaging in a department, you're 50% short on labor trades and you're having to do overtime with the ones that are there with uh, communications, dispatchers, uh, water utilities, uh, inspectors. You find that's when people lean more into the technical? Yes, they find absolutely. They They will hire for warm bodies that have the skills that they can put them in there and get relief to the team. Right. And I... Hit the ground running. Day one, you can. That's right. At least you suspect they are. But if you don't ask the right questions when you have that need, they're going to be gone as quickly as you hired them and you're back at the same point. So I I always caution them, really ask better questions. Really ask the things you need to to get the best possible candidates at the time. And then HR, we try to do our part to give the best uh, financial component to it to get them and then keep them right. So, um, so those are the, the critical things that we see, um, that, that have an impact on whether, so if it's lower level, like I said, and they're hemorrhaging, we typically see them lean harder and I just need a person. I need a body to get here, even if they have red flags on their application. But again, we also find they typically are in the same place six, nine months later and right. it turns over cause there's attitude issues. There's other things. Um, secondly, if you're at a higher level, you're looking for more soft skills typically. So if you're hiring for managers or above or high level supervisors, the technical skills are needed, but often they want a good manager. They, they, they often see, we didn't have somebody that managed the crews well. There was dissension. There was a, you know, a work environment issue. They couldn't see past the black and white, you know, that it, it just has to be operated this way. So I, I often see as you kind of swing on the higher end of the pendulum towards the managerial, professional, executive, there is a le- less tendency. Even my position, you know, when I've talked to Cheryl before is 
I can train the I can train the technical pieces of HR if they don't have it. I'm not worried about that. What I want is somebody that fits our team, that fits our culture, that has an attitude that fits our service philosophy. And then we can teach what they don't know, right? I just need them to come with some basic. And honestly, for me, it's easier to teach it when they don't know it because they're so eager to learn it. Yeah. You can get eagerness. Well, on the specialization, the higher up you go, the less the specialization continues to kick in. That's it's right. A necessary evil. That's right. So it's kind of a it's it's really kind of a balance on 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 how we do that and what yeah. we tend to see. We're really trying to shift that thinking to really focus on again, like we talked about in curiosity, better questions to really ask a right. little bit more intuitive questions, even at the lower levels. Because uh, it it says a lot, you know. We we do intentional fifteen minute telephone interviews, mm-hmm. and the applicants are like, "Are we going to be able to get through all this?" And we say, "Oh, sure, yeah." But we have intent. We do right. fifteen minutes to see how quickly you can think on your feet, how mm-hmm. you can answer questions. If you ramble, if you answer the question asked, sometimes we'll do compound sentences intentionally to mm-hmm. see if they picked up. I need to answer A and B in that question. Right. Um, so there's a lot of things you can do pretty intentionally to figure out what they're bringing to your team to make it better from a telephone interview even and see if that even matches we've ruled out 80 percent of the candidates on a telephone interview sure look great on paper right but you ask a few questions can't think on their feet stumble can't give you specifics right yeah so uh, there's different any, ways to do, do you have it. any got any tricks up your sleeve so a leader who might be struggling or maybe an emerging leader who who hasn't yet figured out this value of a diversity of different skill sets and different natural talents or what we might call default behaviors got any success stories for somebody who who was able to convert and okay you know i see it because maybe many of us our natural naivete going in is hiring people much like ourselves. I'm trying to think, um, because it's first, you know, me, it's, it's not, uh, I don't pinpoint. I just, I guess I don't pinpoint a specific success. I just know it's our, it's our way of coaching and teaching and we'll get, we'll get, Oh my gosh, that's a great question to ask. You know, that let that lend it a lot. We get those kind of, that kind of feedback afterwards, well, but that's but, kind of the point. I yeah. mean, it's kind of the point that. But it's not a specific I, story, right? Yeah. And well, it's, it's kind of the point that I want to make to the audience that there, in my experience at least, and and I know you well enough to know in yours too, this isn't just some seminal moment. Of, right. I've changed my mind. This is a conversion that can happen over time, and I think there's a couple of different things, you know, as we kind of round our way to to wrapping up the conversation everybody's wired differently, right? There can be, there can be leaders who can be very protective of their own strengths. As I mentioned, I remember in my early days, some things that I was naturally good at, it dawned on me. I may not be seeking other people who also may be good at that, right? Because maybe I did enjoy being the guy in the room that had that strength, right? I'm not saying that was true, but it crossed my mind. Um, 
and there wasn't there wasn't some moment of baptism you know there wasn't some conversion moment for me there was this progression of you know what there's somebody uh and and for me it was it was easy to spot the people that were naturally good at things that i knew i was not um I don't you know, know to what degree everybody's got self-awareness, but that, that sure. to me, that's the game. The game is self-awareness. The more that we can help leaders be aware of themselves and be willing to face it. It's why I talk so much about this metaphor of the corner and looking in the mirror. The more we can look in the mirror and really see ourselves, but it's a double-edged sword because that's also the benefit of this the benefit of other people in the room who've got these different strengths. See, for me, your leadership journey was different than mine in that you were looking to fill gaps. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't looking to fill gaps. I was, I was mostly concerned with this all looks fine and well, and I think I know what to do based on experience. I'm fairly confident. I know, but, what if I'm not seeing this right? I mean, well, what if there are gaps? A ga- that, that, what that if could be a gap. Yeah, well, you know, but, a gap in perspective, right? Yes, but 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 you're you're dealing with things that were kind of obvious to you. I was dealing with, you know, the big nagging question for me was, what don't I know? You know, what don't I know that can rear its head and bite me? Uh, kind of a thing. So that that's, conversion but that's process. Also a trait. So that's also a trait, you know, and I gave the reference of something specific like benefits or wellness. Those mm-hmm. are very specific things. But to your point, one of the gaps we looked for in the past was a person that can stay in touch. Yeah. You know, we've talked about my, my natural style in my early years and until recently, and I've tweaked that, you know, as I've grown was to come in the office and get, get, look at my to do's for the day, get those to-dos done, delegated out, followed up on, corresponded with, you know, it was very much a process-based, let's let's get her done because of the things we have. But what we found is we've got to find better ways to stay in touch with our team uh, because there's a sense of belonging and a sense of value that we needed to bring out better. And so I looked for leaders that had that in them too to balance me. So it's a different kind of trait softer skill doesn't mean there's anything detrimentally wrong, but I didn't naturally have that gift. Okay. And so I think to your point, that's where I looked for leaders that complement that and can bring that out better. Mm. Tasha is a perfect example. My number two, Uh, she came up as a manager, was a first time manager. But when I was asking her questions in the interview, it was all about informal leadership. She was not a leader. But we talked about what did you do to stay in touch with the team? And she was doing all these informal things of caring, compassion, making sure they were recognized, little tiny things that make a difference. And that's what I needed. And she brought that to the team and still does it this day. She's like, uh, it's their birthday on Thursday. I'm like, oh, crap. Right, <laughs> you know. Right. So she's just very intuitive on those yeah. things that, that add value that are very simply done. Um, and she's added so much. She's helped create programs with the city manager for recognition, the very things that I knew she would do well at, and she enjoys it. So it's a, it's a twofer, right? She's doing what she loves and she's doing something that she can shine. So it not only brings value to her, but brings value to our department and our city as a whole. So 
yeah, I agree let me, with you let, on that point. Let me re, let me repeat the quote and let me end on and interject one word and see where your head takes you. Great leaders are not the best at everything. They find people who are best at different things and get them all on the same team. That's the quote. Now here's the word. Likeability. Like ability. So I could read that quote and we have kind of focused on skill set, technical competence competencies and whatnot. So finding people who are best at different things. I don't I don't want anybody to think, well, this isn't a personality thing because it can be a personality thing. There are toxic personalities on the planet. There are people that are incredible at certain skills and can do a great job. If you could only put them on an Island and leave them by themselves (laughs) and not have to deal with anybody. Yeah. But the problem is we're getting people on the same team. So that's right. What, what, what commentaries do you have? What observations and insights can you share when it comes to constructing a team having a team and figuring out who's best at different things and that component of likability. Well, first, I think every person needs that's, that's hiring. Um, if there's some to do's that I would tell you to do one, you need to get input. Uh, we've talked about having humility. You need to ask those around you. What do we need? Don't just rely upon your own determination because that will create you to have false assumptions of what you think we need. If you're, if you're on that Island, you need to be asking input from your team, whether that's your peers. Uh, if you're hiring another executive, our, our city leadership gets the executives. What do we need? What do we need in that person? Um, And of all different levels, they get our input. They, um, if you're managing a team, you need to ask your team, uh, find out what they think you need Now they aren't the sole determination. And I don't let my team pick my people. I just don't. I can let them have input, mm-hmm. but but we have the final say, and I value their input and what they believe they need, and I look for those traits to hire. But ultimately, I'm the I'm the final say uh, of the people they bring forward if there's a choice, right? Secondly, I think it's really important that um, that you determine what your non-negotiables are that we've talked about. What are you not going to sway away from? whether that's dependability, like we talked about willingness and attitude for me, you need to know what those are and don't hire somebody just because you need a warm body. If they do not fit that service philosophy, whatever it is on your team. And then lastly, once you determine what you need, look for people that can fill that uh, and get them, get you there because you do not want to hire toxicity. You do not want to hire somebody, a cancer that's just going to, because that can, that breaks people down and it does spread whether you want it to or not. Uh, you think you can silo them. Well, you know, they were rude in the interview, but I'm sure it's just a bad day. Well, that's the best they're going to be. So if you sense any red flag, I always tell people go with your gut. Do not second guess yourself. Um, you know, you need to hire for what will give strength and give uh, expertise if that's what's needed and give sustainability to your team. And ultimately it should match the values of the city. I mean, these people, their our values are what we live and breathe every day. And if they don't match that at the lowest level, I'd just tell you not to hire them. 
that's my food for thought. Did I answer yep. your question? Yeah. Yeah. More or less. <laughs> <laughs> Mac, you, you, you fell, you fell the 50 minute phone. In no, well, oh. <laughs> I, I bring it up because so frequently I run across people and invariably the story goes something like this. Um, have I talked to you about so-and-so? And I'm like, no, tell me about so-and-so. I won't have met so-and-so. Well, so-and-so is this rock star, technical rock star, but they can't get along with anybody. They just create enemies everywhere they go. And you're like, and, and you put up with that because, right? Because they are a rock star. You know, they are so, they are just so good. And I jokingly tell people, although it's become certainly less of a joke over the, over the years that I have used this analogy, I said, you know, the barometer, I'm a simpleton. I mean, I don't claim to be some rock star, you know, thought leader. I jokingly tell people, listen, I'm trying to lead my social media influencer. Yeah, no, 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 no. (laughs) But for me, the barometer is really simple. When they walk out the door, is there going to be a funeral or are we going to have a weenie roast? A parade. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause a if we're, if, if we're breaking out, if we're breaking out the hot dogs and we're going to have a weenie roast and, and make s'mores cause they're out the door, then you kind of have your answer, you know, because again, that toxicity as leaders, I just, I find every single day, we don't give credence to these people who may be best at different things. And I've termed it as likability, but they're just not good for the team. They're just bad humans uh, and have a bad influence on the team. That professional competency, whatever it may be, I have never found that it even came close to balancing out. No, because when they're that when they're gone, the elevation of team performance just goes through the stinking roof, and le- and mostly leaders are surprised at you know they're surprised at how bad it was because well they didn't know. And I think I've experienced that myself. the 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 greatest challenge you have, good leaders and great leaders, are really trying to invest in their people. We are trying to bring them up to the very best they can be. But you and I know uh, through our discussions um, in looking back over time, the ones that are technical experts that are horrible at relationships destroy far more mm-hmm. than they create positive because they're impacting people. And I would always, I, I swear by this, there is always far more damage than has come to light because so many people just don't want to complain about a coworker to you. They just assume it was an instance, assume it was a moment, assume they were in a bad mood, assume they had a bad day, um, but there is far more damage in the trail left behind them than, than you, you might be aware of a percentage of it, 20%, 30% of the damage. But like you said, even I, who invest in my people, I kept saying, okay, I'm just, maybe, maybe they just don't understand. So I'm going to put it in writing. Okay. Maybe they just, I'll make it clear. Let's. Let me sit down with them again, right? And, and clarify, trying to bring out the very best in them for themselves so that they become better because of you and because of your efforts and because of what you're trying to teach them. But at some point, they have to choose. 
And often they don't choose. If, if you're working with them continually, my lesson learned is I, you know, I've gone two years before on trying to help somebody. And there was far more damage that came out after they were gone. And after we had to make a decision on it, then, then I even was aware of that came out of the woodwork after the fact going, Oh my gosh, did you know? And I did not. Right. Right. I had this one time I could, you know, I thought we were doing the right thing and then this blew up or you just find so much more out after the fact. So if you're in that predicament now, you need to try to figure out, you know, how to nip that in the bud because I would never again, let it go two years ever because yep. I almost lost really great team members because of it in my career. Yeah. Well, and, and many, I learned from it. Yeah. And many leaders lose people and they don't know why until after the fact it's too late, you know, yeah. and that's a, that's a terrible feeling. All right. I'm going to leave you with a quote. Great leaders are not the best at everything. They find people who are best at different things and get them all on the same team. So we wish you well in your, uh, in your journey as a leader to grow great. We appreciate you clicking play on the podcast. Lisa, got anything you want to add? I'd say the only uh, amendment to that that puts it in simple terms in the words of Tom Hart, get the people on the bus, get them off the bus or get them on the right seat. And that's talking about getting the right people on your team. Maybe they need to be doing a different role better that fits them. Thanks for watching and listening to Grow Great, a city government leadership podcast. For Lisa Norris, I'm Randy Cantrell. Be well, do good, grow great. The website is growgreat.com.